And so we come to the end of Hebrews. Chapter 13 this morning, verse 18 to 25. The theme for the message is faithful shepherds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we draw near to the throne of grace. We come as people who are dependent on you. We come with our needs. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So you taught us in your word, Lord. And yet we pour out our hearts before you because your word also tells us to do so. We ask that you would instruct us and teach us your good word. Let your Holy Spirit, your good spirit, lead us on level ground. Amen. I have two friends, particular friends in the ministry at this moment, who are going through a very hard time. Uh, one of my friends, several people in their church are getting divorced, and it's really hard on him. And the other friend, they're a group of rebels in the church who are causing division. And yet both these brothers, both these men, they've remained faithful to the Lord and to their congregations. So I would hold them up as examples of faithful, she faithful shepherds. And that's also how the author to the Hebrews, this, the man who wrote this letter to the Hebrews, he was faithful, he was a faithful shepherd. And he remained faithful even when things didn't go too well. Actually went very difficult and very hard times in this church. People were turning away from the faith. They were tempted to turn their backs on Jesus and, and return to the Jewish religion. And yet he took the bull by the horns and he addressed the problems and he hung in there. And so what he teaches us in these verses, the final verses of the book of Hebrews, really from his example, he teaches us what faithful shepherds do, especially when they go through hard times and things aren't easy in the church. And I think it's good for us to learn these things so that we can distinguish between true shepherds and false shepherds. And then it's also good for shepherds, it's good for pastors so that they can measure themselves up against God's word, against these verses, and then can change. If we see in our lives, well, I'm not quite in line here. So let's read Hebrews 13, verse 18. <clears throat> Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. <clears throat> Greet all the leaders and all the saints 
all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So when we speak of faithful shepherds, firstly this morning, number one, they desire your prayers. That's in verse 18 and 19. You know, some people think that shepherds, and for those of you who may wonder what do you mean by shepherds, I mean pastors. Um, some people have the idea that, that shepherds or pastors are superhuman. They superhuman, you know, the pastor knows that you're in hospital even though no one told him. Some people have that idea. <laughs> the pastor should just know. They, they think that the pastor's prayers are more powerful than normal people's prayers. Or they think, you know, my, my friend, her marriage problems will be solved. Or this unbelieving colleague of mine, he'll be converted. Or this rebellious teenager, he will change and become gentle as a lamb if he can just get to my pastor. If my pastor can just speak to them, everything will change. <clears throat> well, I'm really sorry to blow your bubble. Um, the pastor is a normal human being like you are. Pastors also are tempted. They also sin. They also need to ask forgiveness for their sins. They also become discouraged. They are also scared at times. They also lie awake at night sometimes. Their kids are also sinners. They also work six days a week. Not just on Sundays, but six days a week, believe it or not. And because they're normal human beings, they need your prayers. Just like you need their prayers. Verse 18, pray for us. Over and over you see the Apostle Paul asking people, pray for me, pray for me. You just read his letters and you'll see it. And here the author to the Hebrews, this writer, he also asks, Please pray for us, verse 18. Why? Because we are sure, for we are sure, we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. What in the world does that mean? Pray for me because I've got a clean conscience and I want to act honorably. What does it mean? <clears throat> now remember this guy, the author, he wrote some very hard things in this letter. And now he's saying to them, but my conscience is not bothering me, as if I gave you some wrong teaching, or I acted in a dishonorable way, or I, I was, I'm busy with, uh, I'm doing some sin, some kind of sin. He says, no, I, I can honestly tell you that when I wrote these hard things to you, I did it out of love. I did it because I want to help you. So please don't remove my name from your prayer list, but continue praying for me. I think that's how we should understand verse 18. Please pray for me because, you know, I really wrote these hard things to help you. My conscience doesn't bother me, and I didn't sin by doing so. So continue to pray for me. And I think every pastor should be able to say this. Every pastor should be able to say, my conscience is not bothering me. Uh, it's not as if I'm, I'm skipping some sensitive texts in Scripture. I don't want to preach them because I'm afraid maybe I'll hurt some of your, your feelings and... No, no, no. I preach to you the, the complete Word of God. I preach the whole Bible to you because you need it and because this is going to help you spiritually. And I don't feel guilty about my life. Uh, I don't have some hidden life. I don't live a double life. 
What I am in front of you, that is what I am behind your back. What you see, how you see me on a Sunday in church, that's exactly how I am in my marriage, how I am with my children, in my personal life, in my thought life, and in my motives. I'm not living a secret life of sin. My conscience is clean, and I keep this conscience clean by confessing my sins regularly and repenting of my sins regularly. So every past, in other words, should say verse 18. I'm sure I have a clear conscience and I desire to act honorably in all things. Now, to, to confirm this love that he has for them, because he said, listen, I really said these hard things with a clear conscience to help you. And to, to affirm his love for them, he asked them, please, will you pray for me more? Pray for me more, and then also to affirm your love for me. Pray for me more so that I can get to you the sooner. Verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So what he wants is he wants to be with them. He wants fellowship with them. And I think if we take verse 18 and 19, there are two lessons that stand out to me, uh, especially these two lessons. The first is that pastors and their families, they need fellowship with other believers. Just like you need fellowship with other believers. But pastors need it too. So don't be like one woman who said to me, she said, you know, Ivor doesn't need friends because Jesus is his friend. No, God made us social beings. It's true Jesus is my friend and I hope he's yours. But God made us social beings. And so that is why uh, I put the elders and their families on the visitation list. Not just to visit the people, but to be visited. That is the great means that God uses for us to grow as pastors also. How do pastors grow spiritually? Not by going to pastors' conferences. That's not the main way. The main way we grow is exactly the same way you grow. By being part of a body of believers, part of a congregation, where everybody encourages one another and lifts one another up, builds one another up, and cares for one another. Also caring for the pastors, not just the pastors caring for the people. And then a second lesson that stands out to me in verse 18 and 19 is pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. And with pastors, I don't just mean the guy who preaches. I mean the elders. Pray for your pastors. Put their names on your prayer list and pray for them often. Verse 18, pray for us. Now, if you're someone you're already praying for your pastors, for your elders, <clears throat> then I want to ask you to do so more. Verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do this. Pray for them more, like, a, like an older pastor asked um, about a year ago. He said, for those of you who are praying for me uh, once a week, please may I ask you to do so every day of the week. And I did start doing so indeed and started praying for him every day. And then also at our prayer meetings. Uh, some of you have heard in the prayer meetings, uh, you pray for the elders you pray for the leaders, and that's good, and I want to encourage you to keep on doing it and do so more. Pray for the pastors, that they will not fall into sin, that they won't go astray and, and start giving false teaching, but that they would live upright lives, that they would be pastors who preach the word purely, verse 18, we, that they would have a clear conscience and that they would act honorably in all things. And then expect an answer, like this Author, he says, I urge you, verse 19, more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you. He believes that their prayers will be answered. And you, you, you should expect an answer. 
that when you pray for the pastors, God will answer your prayers. And you should also realize that God will not answer you if you do not pray for them. Doesn't James say you do not have because you do not ask? So therefore I want to encourage you, pray for your pastors. <clears throat> Second, if we look at faithful shepherds or faithful pastors, <clears throat> they pray for your growth. So you, they want you to pray for them, verse 18 and 19, but they also pray for you. And that's verse 20 and 21. I remember an older pastor once at a conference we, we were standing in the line ready for dinner and he said to me, you should be able to look every one of your church members and every one of those who visit your church regularly, you should be able to look into their eyes on a Sunday morning and tell them, I prayed for you this week. Not just at large, but individually, I prayed for you this week. I remember Martin Holt telling the same saying the same to us. He said that he believes a pastor should pray for every single person by name and according to their needs every week. Now, he did it every day. He prayed through the whole list and he had about 500 people. And he spent more than two hours a day in prayer. Um, but I, I believe at least once a week we should pray for every single person in the church by name and according to their needs. As pastors, we should do that. That's what the Apostle Paul did. You just read Paul's letters again and again, usually in the beginning of his letters, but again and again Paul would say, I pray for you constantly. I pray for you day, day and night. I pray for you mentioning your names always, and so on. And this is also what the writer to the Hebrews did. He prayed for these people, for these Christians, in verse 20. Now may the God of peace. So that's a prayer for them. So he, he prays. The God of peace. This is how we should pray. I think his example helps us how we should pray. First of all, we should pray to the God of peace. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace. That's how he starts. So what does that mean? How do we pray in that way? Well, we pray for unbelievers. That they will have peace with God. Because they are enemies of God at the moment. Uh, because of their sin. But that they would have peace with God through Jesus. Who died on the cross for their sins. And we should pray for believers. That in spite of all the trials and sufferings we go through, that God's people would have peace. They would enjoy God's peace in their hearts. And then also as, as pastors, <coughs> we pray to God who raised the Lord, our Lord Jesus from the dead. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So if we're praying to God who raised Jesus from the dead, that means He's Almighty. He's the all-powerful one, and nothing is impossible for this God. So we can trust Him. We can bring the greatest burdens. Nothing is impossible with God. He can solve those. And we can trust by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, God will answer our prayers. And He will do so by working this resurrection life in those who are spiritually dead. He will raise them. In other words, He will give them new hearts. He will convert them. And He also works this resurrection power in people by giving the supernatural power to believers so that there are times in the Christian life when you, where you experience heaven on earth in your relationship with the Lord, spiritually. You, you experience wonderful times with the Lord. As you pray and spend time in His Word and fellowship with believers and hear the preaching of the Word and take the Lord's table and so on.
And those things, I believe, happen not only, but at least happen in answer to your pastor's prayers. And that is in verse 20, where the pastor prays for them. He prays for them. Now, we're not Roman Catholics who believe that the pastor's prayer, or as they call it, the priest, the priest's prayers have more power than the average church member's prayers. We don't believe that. But, on the other hand, we don't ignore verses in the Bible where it's very clear how Paul and other pastors pray for the believers. It's important. And then, the way we pray as pastors also, <clears throat> we pray remembering that we are under-shepherds. What is an under-shepherd? An under-shepherd is someone who works under the great shepherd. So the great shepherd is Jesus. He alone is the great shepherd. And we just work under him. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the shepherd of Isaiah 40, verse 11, where it says he will carry them, his sheep, close to his chest. He will hold them as a sheep carries or a shepherd carries the lambs. He is the good shepherd of John 10, verse 11. He's the great shepherd of, of 1 Peter 5, verse 4, the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd of 1 Peter 2, verse 25, where we return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So any faithful pastor doesn't see himself as the Messiah or the Savior of the sheep. No, he says, I am an under-shepherd. Jesus alone is the great shepherd. So what am I going to do with the sheep? I'm going to commend them to God in prayer, to his care. I'm going to ask him to take care of his sheep. And I'll do so by praying for them. And then faithful shepherds, the way they pray is they remind God of the blood of Jesus by which he sealed the covenant. The eternal covenant. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now what does it, pray to, what does it mean to pray like that? How do you pray like that? Well, let me explain. Before God created the world, he made a covenant with his son. A covenant is a, an agreement, but it's a very firm and strong agreement that cannot be broken and must not be broken. So God made an agreement with his son. And if we take various verses in the Bible, we can figure out more or less what God would have said to his son. So let me uh, role play and give you uh, some idea of what the father would have said to the son. Here's the father. He says to the son, you, you will be the shepherd and you will bring millions of stray sheep back to me. I've written their names in a testament or in my will, my final will and testament. And because their names are in my will, they're going to inherit my kingdom. And as you know, my son, <clears throat> the testator, the person who made the testament, who drew up the will, must first die before the heirs can receive the inheritance. And so you need to die. You will need to die. And you will need to seal this will, or this testament or covenant with your blood. 
in order for them to inherit my kingdom. And so the son answers, I'm willing, Father. I will go to the earth and I will become a man. I'll become a human. I'll become human. And I will lay down my life for my sheep. And I will take their punishment upon myself. And I will purchase them with my blood. Now you hear this kind of thing and, and you, you probably say, you know, I'm really glad when I hear this, but I do wonder, what if he loses me? He says that he purchases me with his blood. I'm part of the covenant. My name is in his will. Uh, I'm an heir. I'm going to inherit the kingdom. But what if in the end he loses me? Well, he will not lose you. How do you know that? Because verse 20 at the end speaks of an eternal covenant. It's not like the old covenant. That old covenant came to an end, says Hebrews 8 verse 13. No, this is a new covenant. This is an eternal covenant. Jesus will not lose a single one of those the Father has given him. In John chapter 6, verse 37, this is exactly what Jesus said. And verse 39, Jesus said the following. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. His love, Christ's love for us and the Father's love for us are firmer and more steadfast than the mountains. In Isaiah 54 verse 10, this is what the prophet writes about the new covenant. The mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. No one can pluck you from Jesus' hand. No one can pluck you from the Father's hand. John 10, 28 and 29. And, and, and faithful pastors remember this when they pray. They remember this. They realize that the sheep do not belong to them. They are the Lord's. And so when they pray, they say, Lord, these are your sheep. Would you please carry them and take care of them and protect them and forgive them and bring them back and comfort them and help them and help them to persevere to the end. The faithful shepherd and the faithful pastor will pray that the Lord equips the saints, equips believers, the saints are all believers, that he equips believers to do his will. Verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now the Greek word there for equip is the same word used in Hebrews 11 verse 3 where it says God prepared creation. He prepared the universe, so he prepared creation for all the creatures so that they could live there. It's the same word as in Hebrews 10 verse 5, that God prepared a body for the Messiah. Why? Jesus needed a body so he could live on earth and so he could die for our sins. It's the same Greek word that you read in, in Matthew 4 verse 21, where you see the fishermen and they're busy mending their nets. It's the same Greek word as in Luke 6 verse 40, where it speaks of Jesus who is busy training disciples. He's training his disciples. <coughs> so the faithful shepherd prays for the sheep. He prays, he prays that God would prepare them, that God would mend them like you mend nets, that God would train them to do his will. And that we see in verse 21. That he may equip you with everything good <clears throat> that you may do his will. 
So in other words, we pray for the preaching. We pray for the Bible studies. We pray for our visitations, home visitations. We pray for one-to-one conversations with believers. We pray for our personal time in the Word and for the, the church members' personal time in the Word so that we may be equipped. That by these means God will equip us with everything good that we may do His will. And we don't only pray that people would know God's will. That's not what we're interested in, merely knowing God's will, but doing God's will. Verse 21, that you may do His will. So we don't want people merely to be spiritual. We want them to be obedient, to do God's will. God, according to the Old Testament, God has a greater desire And the New Testament also. God has a greater desire that we obey Him than that we just bring sacrifices. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Proverbs 21, verse 3, Hosea 6, verse 6, Micah 6, verse 7 and 8, Mark 12, 33, Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7. It's not sacrifices that God desires. It's not sacrifice. God desires obedience. And that is why He prays for them not to bring sacrifices, but that they may do God's will. And then the faithful shepherd also prays that, that believers would do God's will so that he be glorified. Not that the congregation can look successful or the leaders can look successful. Verse 21, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> So anyone or congregation who, who does God's will, if, if God does help us that we're able to do His will, we shouldn't pat ourselves on the shoulder or pat ourselves on the back or glorify ourselves. We should honor God. That we may be pleasing in His sight. The glory goes to Him. So at our prayer meetings, we thank God. In our praises when we sing, we thank God. When we bear witness toward others, not unbelievers, but other Christians, and tell them what God is doing in our congregation, And it's wonderful, we praise God, give God the glory, not ourselves the glory. So we should be able to say, every shepherd, every pastor, should say, it wasn't us who did this. It was the Lord who did this. And he did this through Jesus who works in us, verse 21, through Jesus Christ. And the same honor, the same honor that belongs to the Father also belongs to the Son, belongs to Jesus. Now and forevermore, forever and ever, amen. Verse 21, we should honor the the Son just as we honor the Father. John 5, verse 23, the glory belongs to Him just as it belongs to the Father. John 17, verse 1 and verse 5. So you see, the faithful shepherd, the faithful faithful pastor remembers this. The faithful pastor doesn't care if people forget all about him as long as Jesus is glorified. The faithful pastor is able to say with George Whitfield, Let my name be forgotten. Let me be trodden under the feet of all men if Jesus thereby may be glorified. And again, <clears throat> Let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me if by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted. <clears throat> Number three. What does a good and faithful shepherd look like, a faithful pastor? Faithful pastors, well, they want you to bear with their teaching. Verse 22. <clears throat> I remember an older pastor, I was sitting in his study, 
And he said to me, you know, sometimes the sheep don't want the word of God. And that is why David says in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Because sometimes we don't want to lie down and, and graze. Sometimes we, and there's some people, they want soft sermons. They just can't bear with the meat of God's word. It's like they struggle to consume it. It's like they struggle to take in the solid food, to take in the strong meat. And they're like the disciples in John 6. They turned away and and walked with Jesus no longer. They're people who want their ears tickled. And then some people... For them, it's just too long to sit under a a series of sermons on Hebrews for maybe 20 months or a series of sermons on the book of Romans for two years. It's too long. They don't want long series of sermons. And then then there are all these heavy topics to preach on, like the unpardonable sin or the judgment day or the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, Uh, a topic like hell. It's too heavy for them. Some people just find it hard to listen to such sermons or to listen to sermons that go on for 45 or 50 minutes. And that's exactly how these first readers felt uh, when the letter to the Hebrews was written to them. And that is why the author, he asked them, please just bear with this short teaching, with this brief word of exhortation. Verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I've written to you briefly. This is 13 chapters. It's going to take you an hour if you had to, someone had to stand up and read it to the church. Uh, and yet he says, this is a brief word of exhortation. You need to bear with me, please. And especially because there's some hard words in this letter. Uh, especially strong words about apostasy, about turning away from the Lord. And he, he warns them very strongly. And he rebukes them at times. <clears throat> And so he wants them, he says, please understand, I'm speaking from love. I'm I'm not speaking because I hate you, it's because I love you. And to show that he loves them, he calls them in verse 22, brothers. And he even says, I appeal to you. The Greek word there literally means, I come and stand right next to you to to encourage you. And I I want to say the same to you this morning. Sometimes the sermons are hard, and sometimes there are difficult passages. And sometimes there are passages and illustrations and applications that really cut to your heart. And they hurt you. But I'm not doing this because I hate you. I do it because I love your soul. I want to warn you against sin. Against sin. And I I want to show you the right way to go. Finally, number four. (coughs) If we speak of faithful pastors, they want to encourage you. That's in verse 23 to 25. John Calvin lived 500 years ago. And he said... The pastor should have two voices. One voice for gathering the sheep and another voice for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. That's exactly what this writer is doing in the book of Hebrews. So he's warned these people again and again. He's warned them very strong warnings against false teaching. But now he encourages them. So he tells them in verse 23, you should know our brother Timothy has been released. So Timothy's not in prison anymore, has been released. Now, Timothy wanted to give up at a stage, and Paul wrote to him not to. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Paul said to him, please, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. 
And so Timothy took that word seriously and he decided, I would rather suffer for the Lord's name than deny his name. And so he did suffer for his name. He was in prison, but now he's been released. <clears throat> and he's actually, I think, I think that what the writer is doing, maybe he's using Timothy as an example to say, look at him. He didn't deny God's name. Now he is being released from prison. And I want to tell you to do the same. Don't deny the name of Jesus. Don't turn your backs on Jesus. Rather do what Timothy did. Be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then he continues and he says, <coughs> Timothy's been released, verse 23, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So Timothy's coming with me. We're coming to visit you. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your spiritual well-being. And he shows that he really cares about them by sending greetings from other believers and sending greetings to the believers. So verse 24, he says, please, please greet all your leaders and greet all the believers in the church. Greet the whole con congregation. And then I also want to bring greetings from Italy. Verse 24, those in Italy send greetings. Now he, do, he's not, he doesn't tell us, is he in Italy with those believers? Or is he in some other place of part of the world and those believers of Italy have come to see him? Well, he doesn't say, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is, he's trying to show them there are Christians in other parts of the world. And they are saved. They're not saved because they became Jews. They are saved because they believed in Jesus. They are saved and they grow spiritually. They're growing spiritually. And they are persevering. Because of God's grace, not because they brought some sacrifices, animal sacrifices in the temple. Verse 25, grace be with all of you. Grace. That's why we save, that's why we grow, that's why we persevere. Because of God's grace. Not because you do what they were tempted to do. To return to Judaism, to animal sacrifices. And every faithful pastor will help the congregation in this. Every faithful pastor's Will, will continually and constantly remind the sheep of God's grace through, grace through the death of Jesus on the cross. Verse 25. Grace be with all of you. So when someone is sick, when someone doubts his salvation, when someone is going through a tragedy, when you are battling temptation, when you've fallen into sin, when you've gone astray and you need to come back, when you're suffering, going through hard times, when you become old or when you're lying on your deathbed, the faithful shepherd is going to remind you, verse 25, grace. Grace be with all of you. Rest on God's grace. Rest on God's grace. Rest on God's grace. That is what the faithful shepherd will say. Grace unmeasured, vast and free, that knew me from eternity, that called me out before my birth to bring you glory on this earth. Grace, amazing, pure and deep, that saw me in my misery. That took my curse and owned my blame. So I could bear your righteous name. Grace paid for my sins. And brought me to life. Grace clothes me with power to do what is right. Grace will lead me to heaven where I'll see your face. And never cease to thank you for your grace. Grace abounding, strong and true. That makes me long to be like you. That turns me from my selfish pride. To, the, to love the cross on which you died. Grace unending. All my days. You'll give me strength to run this race. And when my years on earth are through, the praise will all belong to you. We worship you, our God and Father, for grace 
unmeasured, grace unending. Wonderful grace. Marvelous grace. Thank you for the salvation that doesn't come through our own efforts, but through the price that Jesus paid on the cross and through the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To you be glory, now and forever. Amen.